Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoy the following message. I'm starting a new, uh, a new trend. I got stickers on my jacket this morning. My daughter decorated me, didn't you, babe? great to be with y'all this morning. You know, I was thinking last week we talked about drawing a line in the sand. And uh, about 10 years ago, I had a line that was drawn before me. And it made me think of it because we were singing this song. I was standing in a worship center just like this. I had just made a deal with God, which is always a bad thing to do, by the way. Um, and and I, I had, in years prior to that, I had felt like God was calling me to the ministry knew without a doubt that this is what he wanted me to do. I left the business world um, and, and gave my life to serve him in ministry. But the one thing I told him, I said, Lord, I will, the one thing I will not do, I'll do anything you want me to do. The one thing I will not do is I don't want to preach. <laughs> and <clears throat> I was sitting in seminary. I don't remember the year. This guy, he's preaching and he's talking about the power of preaching and why we do this. And to be honest, I don't know that I knew the reason why we do what I'm doing right now. I don't, I don't think I knew. And I knew right then and there that God was calling me to preach. And I thought, doggone it. So one thing, I just, this is one thing that I didn't want to do is to preach. And so the deal that I made with God, I said, okay, God, if you want me to preach, I'm not going to go looking for it. But if somebody calls, I won't say no. Well, two weeks later, that's how God works. Don't make a deal with him. Two weeks later, I get a phone call and it's from a friend and he's like, hey man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I've got this gathering of people. It's a Wednesday night worship service and I cannot be there. I need you to preach. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. And I am standing there on the front row, just like I was just a minute ago. And, and in the middle of that song, in the middle of that song that we just sang, the last song we sang, Great Are You, Lord. I'm standing there and I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? <laughs> I'm looking at every exit sign. I'm like, maybe if I fake sick, there's gotta be a way I can get out of this. Um, but I didn't. And I didn't because there was a line being drawn in the sand for me and I had a choice to make. I'm either gonna stay on this side of the line or I'm gonna take a step of faith and I'm gonna step over that line. And I'll tell you this morning, you will not experience the greatness of God until you take a, a, a step of faith, a step of trust across that line. And so this morning, I don't know where you are, I don't know where you come from, I don't know what your story is, but I know that there's a line being drawn for you. And my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is Take a step over that line. Because if I wouldn't have taken a step over that line, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. And I wouldn't get to experience the power of being used by God in a way that I really can't imagine or fathom or, or really put into words, to be honest with you. And it's all because in my fear, in my doubt, thinking that I'm gonna be found out, I let the insecurities in my life get the best of me. I said, no, Lord, I'm not gonna do that today. I'm gonna to take a step across that line. That's Paul's desire for us 
As we consider the book of Colossians and what he would have for each and every one of us is that we would take a step across the line. Whatever that line is for you, Paul's deepest desire is for you to take a big giant step across that line and to never look back, being used by God in whatever way he sees fit in your life, to step into his vision and his dreams for your life, which are far better, far greater than you could ever think or imagine. And I'm telling you, you're settling for something less for your life when you're living on this side of the line. Now this morning, as we open up the book of Colossians again, we're gonna be in verses nine through 13. What we're gonna be talking about is leaving the shallow end of the pool. We're gonna be talking about God's desire for you and for me to take a step across the line into the deep end of the pool. Now, I want you to think about something. When you were a kid, it's a hot summer day. We're going to get nostalgic. Hot summer day. It's July, 105 outside. Texas, where are you at? I know where I want to be. I'm at the pool. I want you to think about it. You're a kid. Hot summer day. You're at the pool. And today's the day. Today's the day that you're leaving the floaties behind. (laughs) You're leaving the kiddie pool. You're going with the big kids. You're going to get up on that diving board. And today's the day that you're going to make the dive into the deep end. In the same way, I want us to do that this morning. I want us to to leave the floaties behind. I want us to take a step outside of that pool. I want us to walk towards that diving board knowing that there's fears, there's doubts, there's all of those things that are going to creep in and tell you why you should stay in that shallow end of the pool. But I want you to take a step of faith and I want you to get up on that diving board and I want you to dive in. And the reason being is because I want you to see that a captive life, a captive life given over to Christ swims in the deep end of the pool, swims in the deep end of the pool. Okay. So Colossians chapter one, we're going to be verses nine through 13. If you're willing and able, I'd like to invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. Verse nine, and so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Note this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And here's what that looks like. Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience. We love the word patience, don't we? For endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. I love how Paul begins this portion of his letter. He begins with hope for his audience. It reminds me of the days when Jordan was pregnant, we were getting ready to to deliver Lane and Drew. And I remember thinking and and having a period of, of, of reflection, maybe moms and dads in the room, you can relate to that reflecting on the fact that you're about to bring these tiny little humans in the world and, and you're charged with the responsibility of keeping them alive. I know. By the way, on the first birthday, that's what you're celebrating. You kept a human alive. 
That's a good thing. That's a hard thing. And I remember thinking through all of my hopes and my desires for Lane and for Drew and, and each and every night, we never miss a night because it's so important to us. Uh, but each and every night we put them in bed and we, we say a prayer over them. And even to this day, I'm still praying over my hopes and my dreams for them. And certainly they've changed, they've deepened, but we're praying those hopes and we're playing those dreams over them each and every night. Well, this is what Paul is doing here. In a similar way, he is praying over the church in Colossae. He's praying for the Colossian church and he's giving us a window into his hopes and his dreams for them. He says this in verse nine. He says, I'm praying my hope, in other words, is that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Paul's desire for the church in Colossae for the Christians in uh, the town, the city of Colossae is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they would live a life that is pleasing to God, that they would experience his knowledge, his understanding, his wisdom. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says a similar thing for the church in Ephesus. He, he says, he prays that they would be filled with the fullness of God pretty wild to be filled with the fullness of God's presence. Paul's desire is that they would give their lives fully over to him and in so doing be filled with this knowledge, with this wisdom and this understanding. And as we do that, as we give our lives over to him, he says that we will live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, I don't know anybody, I don't think anybody in this room would raise your hand and say, I do not want to live a life pleasing to God. I don't know that anybody would say that. And so here, Paul is giving us instructions on how do we live a life that is pleasing to God and in so doing, get his knowledge, his wisdom, and his understanding, the understanding that we need to deal with the complexities of everyday life. Now, understand that this is not to say that the Christians who are in Colossae don't already possess God's presence or that they don't already experience his knowledge, his will, or his understanding any more than I can be standing in the shallow end of the pool and yet not be in the deep end. It's not what Paul's saying, but rather he is inviting them to come and experience the fullness of God, to be filled. By the way, that word filled means to be complete, to be, um, to be overflown, so to speak. It means for us to be satisfied. And I think that's what Paul has for us this morning is that as we enter into the deep end of the pool, that we would be filled, that we would be satisfied, that we would be complete in God. And I think the reason being is because it's in the deep end where we have to trust God. It's in the deep end where we have to trust on someone outside of us to keep our head above the water. Yet nevertheless, it's in the deep end that God shapes us molds us and fashions us after his son's likeness. Listen, you will never experience the depth of God's grace, his knowledge, his power, or his understanding by staying in the shallow end of the pool. And I can get up here and I can tell you all of those things, but until you take that step of faith, until you take that step of trust, you will never experience it and you'll never know the blessing of it. You will never know the blessing 
of experiencing God's power in your weakness until you take a step over that line. I would have never experienced the blessing of God's power in my life to use me in my weaknesses if I wouldn't have taken the step over that line and entered into the deep end. You will never experience the blessing of God in your life until you look at your bank account knowing that you may not be able to pay that bill this month, but Lord, I'm gonna give you what is yours. You will never experience the blessing of his great, amazing, wonderful provision until you do that. There are so many blessings that are available to you that you and I miss out on so long as we stay in the shallow end. And yet it's by God's grace that he is beckoning us to, in, to, to come, to be in the deep end with him, to find him to be enough. Listen, it's in the deep end, and I love this. I think this is great. It's in the deep end where God may let you struggle. He may, he may even take you to the point of exhaustion. You may be feeling like you're doggy paddling. But the promise that we have when we meet him in the deep end is that he will never let us drown. When we give our lives over to God, he promises that while life may bring exhaustion, while you may be tired, while you may be just burned out, worn out, when you meet him in the deep end, he will never let you drown. He's the only one that you can count on. He's the only one that's gonna keep your head above the water. Now you may be saying this morning, well, Logan, how, how in the world do how in the world do I live in the deep end? How do I live a captive life in the deep end? And, and here's what I would tell you. I would tell you that to move into the deep end, again, takes faith, it takes trust, and it takes confidence. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hands out. We did this a couple of weeks ago, so you ought to be used to this. It's only weird if you make it weird. All right, so take your hands out. Here's what it looks like to live in the deep end. You ready? You open your hands to God and you say, God, whatever you want from me, here I am. Why don't you put your hands over your heart? God, I'm gonna give you my heart to you. I'm gonna give my heart to you. I'm gonna entrust my heart to you. I'm gonna entrust my passions, my desires, my will, all the things that I want from my life, I'm gonna trust them to you. And I want you to go right here. God, I'm gonna take my thoughts captive to you. I'm gonna give you the thoughts that are going through my mind right now. I'm distracted. Maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I got a lot of things going on. But for right now, I'm gonna give my thoughts to you. I'm gonna hold my thoughts captive to you. And so to live in the deep end looks like I'm gonna give you my hands, I'm gonna give you my heart, and I'm gonna give you my mind. That's what it looks like to live in the deep end. And by the way, living in the deep end is hard. Again, it takes, ta it takes trust, it takes faith, it takes confidence. But I'm telling you, once you go to the deep end, you'll never return to the shallow end because you will find God to be faithful in the deep end. You'll find him to be faithful in the deep end. The way we do this, the way that we give our hands, our hearts, and our minds to God, the way that we do this is to create space for him in our lives. If we're gonna give our hands, if we're gonna give our heart, if we're gonna give our minds to him, then we're gonna have to spend a daily time, we're gonna have to spend daily time with God. We're gonna have to get out our Bibles, 
And we're going to have to open our Bibles and we're going to have to sit down with him and we're going to have to spend time with him in his word as he speaks to our hearts. We got to spend time with him in prayer. We got to come to him with the good things, the bad things, the ugly things, and all the things in between. You know, I think about a child crawling up into their daddy's lap. Daddy doesn't have to say much because they're talking. They have a lot to say. Remember, we had 73 questions per day that they're asking. Listen, God is a great listener, and he wants to hear from you as his child. So we need to crawl up into his lap every day. If we're going to give our our hands, our hearts, and our minds over to God, we need to crawl up into his lap and say, God, here's what's going on in my life. We've got to create periods of fasting in our life. Remember when we did the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. We've got to create a space in our hearts and in our minds for God. The reason why we talk about fasting is because we are taking something that's very important to us and we are putting someone who is even more important to, our, to us in our lives in our hearts. We're taking a good thing and we're placing it with a better thing, namely Jesus. That's why we fast. When we give to the Lord, what we're doing is we're protecting our hearts from the vanity of materialism that is running rampant through our culture and quite frankly, running rampant through our churches. This idea that as soon as I graduate from college, I ought to have what mom and dad have. That's a lie from Satan. You're expecting to have something that your mom and dad have worked 30, 40 years to have. To have the bigger house and more cars and more money in the bank and all of these things. And I'm telling you, it's stealing the joy from your life because you're enslaved to it. I didn't look it up this week because honestly, I probably didn't want to know the answers, but I can't imagine what the debt ratio is outside of the church or inside of the church because we believe the lie that somehow or another I have to buy a life to impress people who, by the way, don't really care about what you have in the first place because they're doing the same thing, trying to impress you with all the things that they have that they can't afford. And so our hearts are given over to the culture and they're given over to the things of the world rather than given over to God. And I'm just pleading with you. I'm saying, hey, listen, when you give, it's not because I want something from you, nor does God want something for, from you, but he wants something for you. And that's a life that is blessed by him that's freed from the things of the world. That's what God wants for you. That's what I want from you. That's what our church wants from you. I want you to be able to live in the deep end, free of the things of the world. That's why we do all of these things. Listen, we sing, we gather together, and we prioritize Sunday morning, not because we have to, not because we're supposed to, but because it's vital and you can't live without it. Can a car run without fuel? No, and you can't run without the people in this room. Christianity never, I mean, even in the, from the very beginning, God looked at Adam and said, it is not right for man to be alone. It is not right for you to be alone. God creates a companion, a helper who is fit for him. Why? Because you and I need community. We need one another. We need one another. We need the accountability. We need the encouragement. We need one another to help us push us into the deep end and say, hey, you got this. Hey, lean into Jesus. It'll be worth it. 
When our marriages are struggling, we need our Sunday school classes to pray for us. When we don't have enough money to make ends meet, we have people here who sacrifice for us on our behalf. There's no other institution on the earth like it. It's the power of the community. And yet statistics show that we show up only 50% of the time. If you showed up only 50% of the time in your marriage, how do you think that would work? If you showed up 50% of the time for your, soccer, your kids' soccer games, how do you think that's gonna work? What are you communicating to them? What are you communicating to yourself? Living in the deep end prioritizes the worship of God in community with other believers. It's powerful. There's nothing else like it. We show up and we sing because when we don't have the words to express thanks to God, we sing them. Sometimes you come in here and your eyes are filled with tears because you just don't know what to say and you don't know which way to look because life is hard. And so we sing. We sing because we don't have any other emotion. And so Lord, we just say, hey, Father, we just love you and we wanna sing to you and we wanna sing your praises to you. And sometimes you don't have to sing because even then you just need to be with the Lord. Nevertheless, we need to prioritize that because prioritizing God in the deep end looks like showing up. Showing up for him and showing up for one another. Paul says that when we give our lives fully over to him, not only will we gain knowledge, wisdom, and understanding necessary to deal with daily life, but we will also live lives pleasing to God. And here's the coolest thing about this passage. He doesn't make you guess as to what that looks like. Isn't that great? He doesn't, you don't have to assume. He even, he, he tells you exactly what it looks like. He says in verse 10 that a life in the deep end of the pool bears fruit in everyday life. That's what he says in verse 10. He says, a life pleasing to God is bearing fruit in every good work and it's increasing in the knowledge of God. We talk about fruit, we gotta go back to Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, Paul writes, he says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the fruit of the spirit looks like. Is that what your life is producing? If I were to ask your employer, your spouse, and your best friend to take a look at your life on a scale of one to 10, would they say that you are growing in fruit? Would they say, yeah, she is, man, she's really growing in her love for people, even the tough people. Well, man, golly, yeah, he is, he's kind. He, he's, he's one of the kindest people that I I know, even the people that are hard to love, that are hard to deal with, would they say of you, man, they're just filled with joy. Honestly, their joy is kind of annoying. They're so joyful all the time. Why aren't they upset? Would they say that you're a person of self-control, self-discipline, able to live in moderation? Paul says that as we move into the deep end, our lives ought to bear fruit as we grow in the knowledge of God, as we grow in the knowledge of Him, of His perfection and our imperfection. And we recognize that apart from grace, we have no shot. Paul says that our life ought to bear fruit. It ought to grow in fruit. It ought to grow in love and peace and kindness and joy and faithfulness and gentleness. Would people say of you that you finish what you start? That you're a hard worker. Would they say these things of you? 
If they don't, it may be that you're still in the shallow end thinking that you're in the deep end. God's desire is that you and I would grow in fruit for a life deep. Life in the deep end is a life that bears fruit. If a Christian's life is not bearing fruit, it's probably because while they're still in the pool, they've mistaken the shallow end for the deep end or the deep end for the shallow end. Now, here's a word picture. Can you imagine a grown adult sitting in the kiddie pool with floaties? Can you imagine that? Get that picture in your mind. And yet churches are filled with grown adults sitting in a kiddie pool of two feet of water with floaties on, thinking that they're in the pool and some even thinking that they're in the deep end. All because I've lived a life in the church. And yet this is the reason why people say that the church in America is dying. It's not dying because of those who are devoted to the church and to God, the things of God. It's dying because we have far too many people, unlike Epaphrasus, who are sitting in a kiddie pool thinking that they're in the big pool. Is that you this morning? Is that us? A life in the deep end bears fruit in everyday life, but also a life in the deep end is strengthened with endurance. In verse 11, Paul says that a a life pleasing to God is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. One of my favorite, one of my heroes in the faith is a guy named Eugene Peterson. He wrote this book. It's called a, uh, a the, the whole point of it is the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. Doesn't that sound attractive? A long obedience in the same direction. I remember reading that book and thinking, gosh, I hate this. Why? Because I want my Christian growth to come now, right now. See, I think oftentimes we, we look at the Christian life and, and, and we adopt the Amazon's, Amazon's philosophy of business to the Christian life and we think that if I order the package today, I ought to get it in two days. And yet that's not how the Christian life works. And we take that approach to everything in life, don't we? Whether it's personal growth, health, or fitness. If I could just take this pill, I just want to show up to the gym and Work out one day a week, and if I do that, then surely, surely I'll lose the weight that I want to lose. If I just go on that diet and I just do it for a couple of weeks, surely that'll be the thing, but yet it doesn't. And so what do we do? We give up. In the same way as Christians, we, we think, well, God, I'm, I'm, I'm here on Sundays, most Sundays. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. Nothing seems to really make a difference. I, I'm trying to do all the things that you tell me to. I try to make good decisions at work. I try to do all of these things, but yet nothing seems to happen. And so maybe you think, oh God, well, what is it that you want from me, Lord? What, what more could I do? What more can I offer you? But see, the thing is, is that's the wrong question. It's not what God wants from you. It's the fact that God just wants you. I think so often we think about the Christian life and we think about all of the things that God wants from us, but we miss out on the fact that it's not what God wants from us, it's what 
God wants and what he wants is you. He just wants a relationship with you, just like a father just wants a relationship with the son, with his daughter. He just wants you. What God wants most from you is that you would give him your head, your heart, and your hands. Because when we do that, when we do that, he gives us the endurance and the patience and the joy that we need to keep our heads above the water. You know, very few people like training, but we all like the results, don't we? That's how I am. I don't really like the training, but man, I sure do like the results. Life in the deep end is not easy. It takes faith to believe that God is in the details. It takes trust to believe that God is in control of that situation at work or with our kids or with our friends. We're in that diagnosis. It takes endurance knowing that God will finish what he started in us. It takes discipline to get up every morning to spend time with God even when we don't feel it. It takes work. It takes a great deal of trust to give your finances to him, knowing that maybe I can't meet ends meet, but God, I'm going to give you what I have. I tell you, it may be difficult, but you will always find Christ to be faithful in the deep end. But you're missing out on the faithfulness of God, standing in the shallow end. Finally, life in the deep end is a life of thanksgiving. You know, it's hard to be thankful when life is about us, isn't it? It's hard to be thankful when life is about us. As a matter of fact, the more that our life is about us, the more miserable we really are and the more miserable we make others around us. The more our life is about us, the more we grumble and complain about life and how it doesn't go our way, the more that we honk our horn in traffic because all of these people don't know how to drive like me. No, we speed around them and let them know, hey, you're in the wrong. And we break the law to show somebody else that they don't know what they're doing. The more life is about us, the more we take people's criticisms personal. The more that life is about us, the more that we make snippy or judgmental comments towards someone because they don't live up to our standards. Whether we know what's going on in their life or not. All the while we're sitting in the shallow end thinking that we're in the deep end only to realize that we're in a pool and nobody else is there. When life is about us, not only is our life miserable, but everybody else's life around us is miserable and we find ourselves in a pool with no one else around us. And I think it's because we have forgotten what Paul writes in verse 12. He says, given thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I think the truth of the matter is, is that our ingratitude in life is a symptom of the fact that somehow, some way, we have forgotten that our resume isn't what got us here. I want you to think about this. One day you're gonna leave this earth and you're gonna step into the next. Are you really gonna take your resume and hand it to God and say, God, look at my resume. Look at my church attendance. Look at how much I read my Bible. Look at my prayer time. Look at how much money I made at work. Look at how many people I supervised. Look at all the respect and the power that I earned. 
Look at all the followers that I have on Instagram or YouTube. Look at all the likes that I get on Instagram and Facebook. Look at my kids' athletic careers. Isn't it awesome? Do you really think that you're gonna hand your resume over to God and he's gonna go, wow, I am so impressed by this. No, what God's gonna do is he's gonna take that resume and he's gonna say, man, these are, those are great things. But did you give me your heart? Because standing before God is the, is the great equalizer where a resume doesn't really matter. We're gonna stand before him and he's gonna say, hey, And he's going to look at you directly in the eye and he's going to say, but did you give me your heart? You may have done a lot of great things on this earth, but your heart was far from me. That's the great equalizer in all of our lives. See, even on our best day, our carefully crafted resume and our best interview isn't going to be enough to keep us afloat in the deep end. Paul says that it was Christ who qualified us to share in his inheritance. We didn't earn his favor to the degree that God added us to his inheritance and to his will. There's not going to be a point in time where we go, wow, I didn't see this one coming. God added me to his inheritance. It's not going to be our resume. It's going to be Christ's resume that gets us there. And it's Christ's resume that keeps us there. And it's Christ's resume that keeps us afloat in the middle of the deep end. When you don't think that you can continue, when you don't think that you've got it what it takes, when you don't think that you can keep your head above the water, it is going to be Christ's resume that keeps your head above the water, that keeps you afloat. See, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that when you and I take our resume to God, he takes a look at it, all the goods, the bads, the strengths, the weaknesses, the successes, the failures. He takes that resume, and for those who have put their faith and trust, when you hand that resume over to God, here's what he does. He hands you another resume in exchange. And on that resume, it's completely blank except for one word, and that word is qualified qualified and it's on the basis of the qualification that he gives to you not because of what you have done but because of everything that Christ has done and it's because of what Christ has done and is doing in your life even right now in this moment is the reason why you and I have grateful hearts a life in the deep end is a life of gratitude because we understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you and I have nothing to offer to our employers, to our spouses, to our kids, to our family, to our loved one, loved ones. And so all that you and I can do is say, okay, God, here are my hands. Here's my heart, here's my mind, 
everything I have, everything that I am, I'm just going to give it over to you and I'm going to say, God, use me. I may not have a lot, but here I am. Use me. That's a life in the deep end. Would that describe your life? Or would your life still be described as one hanging out in the shallow end when everything's in your control, when you can say, oh, I've got this. My life's in my control, it's in my power, and everything's fine. Or is your life one that's in the deep end that may say, man, I'm experiencing the fullness of God. I'm experiencing his knowledge, his wisdom, his understanding. I'm experiencing a life that's pleasing to God because I'm living in the deep end. I'm living a life fully devoted to him and dependence on him and him alone. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we all come to him Father, understanding that the cross is the great equalizer, that our our resume doesn't really matter much standing at the foot of the cross, recognizing that Jesus came to this earth, lived a life, perfect love, perfect joy, perfect faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, kindness, goodness, all of those things on our behalf so that in him, Father, we might live a life that is pleasing to you, that you might produce those things in and through us. So God, we thank you and we just ask that you would give us the fullness of your presence, that you would transform our hearts from the inside out, God, that you would do something special in us, Lord, that you would move us across the line and that we would take a step to the deep end that we'd get on the diving board and that we would dive in and we would never look back. Knowing that we will find you faithful in the deep end. God, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North. We hope to see you soon.